welcome to episode 34 of the Telenopoly podcast, How Not to Find a Developer, hosted as usual by me, Jared Brown, and Brandon Corbin, my co-host. And Locked. tonight, <laughs> what was that, Brandon? Nothing. Did I cut off your awesome whatever? No, I just playing? said hola. Come hola. on. That's oh, it. Come on. Do something Con- better than that. Continue. <laughs> and tonight we have guest Michael Berger on the show. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Before we get into our topic, let's quickly discuss what we're drinking. And we'll start with you, Brandon, of course. You know, so I had this uh, Fire Island, ca- uh, some white, um, I don't shit, I don't know what it was, maybe a, uh, whatever. Uh, and, and we start the show and I'm like, oh my God, I don't have like anything. And I was hoping to have some of this, but I went to the wrong liquor store. And so that's why we had to start 15 minutes late. I apologize, oh, by the way. that's why. Um, so you have to go was, to CBS, didn't you? I, no, no, no. I've got a liquor store that I run to. So now I'm, I'm drinking the Kim Crawford uh, Sauvignon Blanc. It's uh, you know, it's a seventeen dollar bottle. It's pretty good, especially when it's like eight hundred degrees out. God forbid you did this without alcohol. <laughs> I don't blame you. No, God, you realize how boring it would be if if I wasn't drunk. <laughs> All right, Michael, nice. what are you drinking? Uh, actually, tonight I'm just I've just got water. But uh, yesterday I was enjoying an Oaken Barrel Gnawbone. It's an American Pale Ale from uh, down in Greenwood. Ooh. It was the first time I had it. My brother-in-law gave me one, and I took a couple more. And you said it's Oaken Barrel. Oaken Barrel Brewing Company uh, yeah. down in the Greenwood area. Does that have anything to do with the Oaken Barrel Trophy that IU and Purdue? Oh, I don't know, but for? I I don't I don't think that it does. But because that been, is what they call that, I, right? Yeah, and this, yeah. For people that don't know, Oaken Purdue bucket. and IU are rivals, and they play each other in football once a year, and they play for the Oaken Barrel. Oh, the Oaken Bucket. Oh, Oaken yes. Bucket, sorry. Okay, so probably is similar, but not the same thing. Yeah. All right, well, and I went and picked up a four-pack of some Belgian-style wheat ale this week. This comes from Cooperstown, New York, and when I saw that, I had to get it. That's for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Total baseball geek like that, so uh, it's not too bad. It's the brewery is Omagong, I think that's how you pronounce it, and it's called Wit. And their slogan is It's worth the wheat. And it, it's it's not bad. I wouldn't highly recommend it. It was like eleven bucks for a four pack, so a little pricey for Ooh. for a wheat ale that weighs in at just over five percent alcohol. Wow. So I really like Tank Seven, and it was right next to the Tank Seven. And I almost I went in wanting the Tank Seven, and I saw this next to it. I'm like, ah, I'll give it a try. And afterwards, I'm like, ah, I should have gone with the Tank Seven. But anyway, let's jump into our topic. So, Michael, we're going to be talking about how not to find a developer, and by virtue of that, hopefully, discover some ways that you can successfully find a good developer to work with you. Right? That's right. We'll see. Learn from my bad experiences, maybe. I like it. It's, it's oftentimes a good way to learn. So how, do you, how did you accumulate these bad experiences? Give us a little background of what makes you knowledgeable on the topic. Um, well, I, would, I don't know that I'd say I'm an expert. but um, So I'm a software developer, and uh, my company is Delmar um, IT. We're up here in West Lafayette. And so we're a partnership of it's myself and three other software developers. Um, I've been doing it for since I... When I graduated from Purdue in 2004, I didn't want to go get a real job. And so I started working with one of my professors. So we've just been doing contract work. And we work with a lot of startups um, and some established companies and stuff. Usually that's small enough. They don't have full-time software people, right? 
so I do a lot of small and do a lot of small mid-sized projects. Um, and so we've, people often are like, I got an idea for an iPhone app and, you know, they find out you are somewhat a developer and mm-hmm. it, so then they're like, you know, will you build this for me in some, some form or fashion is the general, is the general question. So that's, and that's kind of my role of the four of us is I'm kind of the guy that vets all those people. So we don't all waste our time on people that aren't serious and, okay. and stuff like that and, and really find the good projects, right? Because there's, I mean, this is the state, I if you guys' opinion is different, but there's a whole heck of a lot more software out there that needs to be written than people that are qualified or even, you know, remotely qualified to do it. So Absolutely. as a developer, it's a good place to be in. So you want to pick, not you want to pick, you know, obviously you want to pick a project that you think is going to make money. Um, but you also want to pick something that's going to challenge you technically. It's just going to be fun to work on is with people that you want to work on. Um, and so I think if you're going out and trying to find it, if you're not a developer and you're trying to go out and find one, you want to make sure you offer all of those things to a developer because he likely has lots of other choices um, of, of, what he want, of what he wants to work, he or she wants to work on. So right. I don't know. You guys in the same, do you agree with most of that stuff or you think is the world different? What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I would almost, I think I would agree. Yeah, I, it definitely, the fact that there are way fewer developers than there are people with ideas, good or bad, that's very true. And I also, Man, but I, you know, I don't know if it is. You don't because, think so? Uh, no, I, because I think what's happening is, is there's this commodity happening, commodity developer that's happening. Right, and that yes, maybe the the companies who are above you know uh, twenty employees who they know they need a, a a good iPhone app, they'll they'll go out and they'll try to find somebody. But like every company underneath there, they always have some asshole who can open up, you know, this iPhone builder, this Android builder, you know, and and they go out and and that seems to be very prevalent, I think, and it impacts mm-hmm. the economy a lot more than what we might think because maybe we are fishing and and you know with bigger fish, but. Mm-hmm. So that's all. That's the only reason why I was kind of wavering if I agreed with a blanket. Impacts the economy for good or bad. No label on it. It just it just does. Right. So I'm just saying that there's a lot more. There are a shitload of and you can't even necessarily call them developers. They you know, but they can give somebody here's an app that has your news feed from when you go post to Tumblr and it's got your photos and it's got, you know, your map data and, and all of this shit without really having to do any kind of development. Right, I call them a copy and paste developer. There you go. Yeah, exactly. They, they can they can go, they can Google a few things, they can figure some stuff out, and they can sort of get it to work. But but they they you know, do complicate. It, it breaks down pretty quick. And it, but it complicates your job too. If any of those people have have presented, so like yeah, you know, I'll do it for like two hundred fifty bucks. Right. <laughs> and so no matter what, you're then kind of like okay, now I got to justify why you're going to be paying a lot more, but why it's also worth it. Um, yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's I think that's a big part of of educating someone that's looking for a developer is like not all develop just because someone calls himself a software developer, a programmer, hacker, whatever title. Well, and I, and I think that's part of the problem too. We give ourselves so many different names. Um, I'm a ninja so pirate. Vastly. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a, that whole level. rock ninja. star or whatever. So, right. Yeah. I, I think that uh, when I am faced with clients like that, all I try to do is show them some of my previous work, try to tell them what my experience is, what I know, how much I charge for it. And the, the me charging for it isn't really based off maybe there's some script kitty that's going to do it for a tenth of the cost. That's, I mean, I think that sounds horrible. And if you really want to go with that person, 
then you weren't the client that I want to work with anyway. So I'm not going to try really, really hard to tell you the differences between me and the script kitty. I'll just lay it out there. And if you can't tell the difference, then I think you've naturally filtered yourself out. Yeah. And I think a good response to that conversation too is that's great. You go try them. Yep. And then secretly in my head and or sometimes I'll actually say it and I'm like, but if you ever have any problems, then you feel free to call me and, you know, we can we can rethink your project or whatever. That's a really great way to so, handle I like that. Because then often, you know, six months down the line after they've wasted a lot of time and money and the project's still not done, then. And then if and if they give up, then you're like, well, they weren't really that serious about it anyway. So absolutely. Yeah. So they filter themselves out, which. I've learned through the years, like when I first started, I was really hungry for the work and, you know, I would do anything to try to get it. And then I started realizing, well, that that brought in some bad projects. And so now I want them to have to come to me as much as if not more than I'm coming to them. You know, let's at least meet yep. in the middle, if not more towards my side. And if you're not willing to do that, then I think this does is not a good fit for both of us. But would you not agree, though, that that's kind of a progress like that? That's the progression of develop being a developer, right? Like, so, you know, as somebody who's listening to this, it's 20 years old who really is just getting started. You know, you got to you got to you got to clean the shitter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I did that. You got you got to a little bit to kind of take whatever whatever comes along until you're fortunate enough to, you know, have the freedom to to be a little flexible. But I also don't think that. If you're of any, if you're any good, it's better to just kind of put yourself out there so people know what you're doing. But you don't really have to go looking for work. And I think that's the advice to someone that's looking for a developer is, if you've got someone beating down your door saying, "I'll write code for you," they, the ironic thing is they probably aren't the guy or girl that you want writing code for you. Mm-hmm. You want to have to go look for them a little bit. And it's if they say, even that they say I'll do it, but they're like, "I'm not available for six weeks or something like that," then they're probably worth waiting for. Exactly. Yep. Because if they're like, "Oh yeah, I can do it tomorrow," like, well, what were you? What were you going to do otherwise? You were just going to you were just sitting around watching TV, <laughs> yeah. you know, until I called you up. I, because I totally agree. a developer should never be a developer should never be should never be bored. I mean, there's always some open source project, or you have your own side project, or something like that. I mean, that's what that's what we do when when the contract work lulls down. That's when we you know ramp up our own product ideas, or mm-hmm. you know hack on you know, do little learning things and stuff like that. So, so let's talk about some of the, you have some classifications here. I have some, I guess, personas or like guys, like just over the years as I was thinking about it. Um, so I just wanted to, I'll throw these out there and I'm interested if you guys have run into the, these same people, um, and and how you handle them. And then I guess the advice for the non-developers in the crowd of how to not, how to not be, be that guy. So, (laughs) All right, so first one is um, the, this is, and this is my favorite guy, is the, I have an idea, and if you write all the code and do everything else, then I'll split 50% of the revenue with you guy. Yep. You guys talk to that guy a lot? I've, I've been that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been that guy. <laughs> That's I thought awesome. you and Jared met, huh? Is that <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I yeah. Like, I got this I, idea for this website called Talentopoly. Yeah. No, I totally was. I was totally that guy. I mean, most of the time I'm not. I'm most of the time the guy getting asked. But for once, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And uh, yeah, completely was this fell recent? apart. Um, no, this was this was now probably two years ago. Can you talk about any of the specifics of it? Um, it was a and it was funny. Uh, literally, a new company just was announced on TechCrunch, but a uh, crowdsourced. Um, uh, editing, uh, content editing. 
So you'd have a plug-in interface, you know, to WordPress or whatever, and just say click a button to get it edited. And it was a lot deeper than that, but it was called WordVice. And yeah, so. So kind of like a wiki for WordPress? Um, No, 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 no. This was your content would go to editors that were in the cloud. They would edit your stuff and you'd get it back and you could go. So, yeah, so it was it was, yeah, crowdsourced content. Like a text editor, but yeah, like edit review process. Yes, exactly. So I could be just I could throw together and, you know, there'd be a whole lot of Turk kind of style. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of mechanical Turk at the time. And so that was we had a couple different uh, avenues we're going. Now, I shouldn't just say that it was like you just, you know, it was I had the whole business plan done. I had the marketing done. I had, you know, all of the what the project actually needs to do. So it wasn't just a simple 50 percent thing. But um, and it, you know, it fell apart. It was my it was really my fault because I was hoping that I could get somebody that could kind of take and run with it. Um, And, you know, again, it was just another experiment like I do all the fucking time. And, you know, it just didn't pan out. Mm. Yeah. I think the key here is the you write the code and do everything. And then, you know, the guy will split the revenue with you because I'm actually uh, engaged in a project right now with somebody who approached me in a similar way. And maybe I'm falling into a trap here, but so far it doesn't feel like it is where uh, I'm doing some of the code, you know, and along with some other people and helping with the product design and the marketing. But this guy comes from a very strong marketing and business background and actually Mm -hmm. has some proven multi-million dollar successes in that area. So and so we talked. This is the way I approached it is I did not immediately say, yeah, that sounds great. My immediate response was, let me help you find another developer for that because i don't think it's me and okay i'll set up a skype podcast with you which i did and i had an hour-long talk with them under the guise of well i'm just going to find somebody else to work with you and during that hour i got very convinced in what he was doing and wanted to be a part of it and it was nice going into it with that tactic of you know you're not he wasn't trying to sell me on it during that hour so I kind of liked that. It, you know, there was no real hard sell or anything. It was, let me just find out what you're doing so I could recommend the right person. And then I could naturally slide in if I wanted to. And then, That's a good approach. That's yeah, good approach. after that, like, it's just been really natural. After that, I decided, well, we should meet in person. You know, let's, let's meet for lunch and, you know, and find out what each other is like and if we would gel together. So we did that and, you know, hit it off there. And then we actually spent two months just talking about the product and we would check out competitors and screen and do screencasts talking about using the different competitors' products and what we liked about what we didn't and found that we're really on the same page in a lot of this stuff. And he comes from like an SEO and internet marketing and like business side of things, which I think pairs nicely with a programmer who can right. get, you know, the product built. So if you can find that type of match, I don't I mean the jury's still out out on my situation, but I think so far it seems to be working. But Far too often, that that's the minority, I think. Far too often, the yep. majority are the people who are just coming in. They have a really – it's their first time doing it, and it's not this guy's first time. So it's their first time doing it, and they're saying, you know, I've just got this great idea, and they think it's the best thing in the world, and they're so convinced of it, but they don't have any of the technical chops or any of the know-how on their own to do really any of it. Even setting up the blog, they can't do. And that, to me, right. is a huge warning sign because if you want something bad enough and you're smart enough to try to go after it, you should be able to be teaching yourself stuff constantly to knock out those to-dos to get to where you need to go. That's the, right. that's the person that I look for is the type of person that's hungry and will learn. 
Yeah, exactly. Because the guy, the guy like you're talking about, your relationship is different than the scenario because he's number one, he's established in that industry and, and what he brings to the table, right. and he's doing that work up front. And that's where like the bad thing with why that's often hard to pitch to a software developer of you write the code and I'll do everything else is the code oftentimes has to come first or very near the beginning, yep. and then it's like, oh well, I build it, and then if you can't sell it, then I I'm out all my work, and oh you're just out like the 20 hours you put in to try to sell it, and then you right. gave up. Right. You know, but it, and so. And we did, we actually talked about like job descriptions early on and how much time each of us would be putting in. And so far, he, I think, has way outpaced me. You know, we're just getting into the yep. code now, but it's kind of ridiculous, like just how much time he will spend. It's awesome. On like, yeah, blog, you know, he's committed to it. Oh, man. It's like if I email him, he gets right back, and there are blog posts going up, and like just tons of work going. There is so much to do besides programming. I, the more and yes. more of these like businesses that I do on the web, the more I'm convinced that the programming is like 20 to 40 percent. You know, 40 yeah, percent is a highly technical product, but it is less than half of what you should be doing in all cases, right? Right, and that's where so those guys come. There's nothing wrong with doing a split of future revenue or equity or, or whatever we love those kinds of deals because then you're you really do have a partnership and you're not just you know somebody's code monkey typing typing keys for them right. so i love that but it's the 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 idea if all you have is the idea you need to flesh your idea out before you go looking for a developer because everybody thinks software development is so hard and it, don't get me wrong it's a key and crucial part obviously of getting these kind of software businesses off the ground but it's not it's by far one of the usually it's not the thing that will kill it because most of the time honestly we're not doing that as much as we like to throw around the terms innovative and stuff right. like that the technical things aren't that innovative Agreed. it's the it's the business model it's the idea or whatever where the innovation is and so hey you can you'll pro if you can put another enough business case for it then you can probably find a developer that will work on the project or you can find someone that will give you cash so then you can get a developer to work on the project so, yeah, let's dive into this just a little bit more. What are some of the, if we're going to bullet point out some of the stuff that would be in the sniff test, as you like to call it, right, Brandon? Mm -hmm. you got to sniff this guy out. Somebody's coming to you with this 50% revenue split idea. And we're, mm -hmm. we're kind of going pro and con here. So we're not saying just throw, this at, throw these people out every time. No, no, absolutely not. What's the litmus test? What are the, what's the sniff test for the things you should look for? For me, it's it's how much background work have they have they already done, and that can be explicit work on that project, or do they just have experience in the industry or the area or whatever, or is this just like, hey, I spent one weekend doing something with my brother-in-law and had an idea. Like everybody probably has a list of 20, 20 things, random ideas they want, and so if if you've got that, and then to me, then it's at least the at, when asking the question of. Well, how much money are you willing to put into it? And whether that's directly paying for software development or other stuff. Like if you're not willing to put, you know, something, you know, taking some of your own personal funds and putting putting towards it, then you're not, I don't know that you're that serious. But if I know like you're like, okay, I can, you know, feed my kid with this money or or even just, you know, I'm giving up, you know, my, you know, going to the movies once a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. I know. Hey, you've given up something, and you're committed to this, so you're not. You're not. I don't, that's usually my test. Are you going to bail on me? Yeah, I think a good a good way to phrase that there, and I've actually said this. I've asked this to people: is if I decided not to do, you know, I'll think about doing the equity. But if I decided not to, 
would you be willing to pay me to develop the software? And I give them a guesstimate. Not I, I call it a yep. guesstimate, not even an estimate, but let's just throw out some, you know, several thousand dollar number out there. Would you be, do you believe it in enough to actually pay that number if I decided that that's the only way we could do this? And yeah, if so. they're not willing to pay, let's say it's like $10,000 for it, you know, I understand if they're young, you know, and if I'm in my early 20s, then the story's different. But I'm 30 now, and like you said, I have a family. I'm not going to be able to just take that huge risk. So right. I want to know that you've got a proven track record. I want to know that you could put the money behind it. But the reason that you're, and here's the other thing is why. Ask them why they're going for the 50%. If it's simply to save money, which I'd be surprised if they just flat out tell you that, but you can probably figure that out pretty easily. If they're just doing it to save money and lower their risk level, that's not a good enough reason. What right. I would look for is somebody who gives an answer of, I want a co-founder who has equity and is involved in this at that level where they are now passionate and committed to the project. And the, and the projects that you get those committed co-founders, they're the ones that have done the best in my experience. And they tell you something like that. That tells me, okay, you're doing this for the right reasons then. Yeah. And anybody, and I, I use the rule that anybody that is too willing to give you equity, you don't want their equity. And when you have to ask for it right. and, and, and wager for it, then, then that's the equity that you, that you want. Yep. I agree. All right. What's another persona that you have here? Well, I like the guy that is, uh, do you, do you know a good student guy, right? There's like this, this, and this is kind of, uh, goes along with the next guy of, I'm sure this is a simple for someone like you guy, right? Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, well, so if it's that simple that you think a student can do it, cause, and this can be read to the first guy where he just doesn't have any money. So he's looking for something cheap, um, right. or just, he, you know, he under underestimates it, but that guy's kind of a contradiction because my response that I try to generally say nicer is, oh, it's so simple. You go do it. Yeah. Why not teach yourself and go do it, right? Yeah, exactly. I actually so, have a friend that, you know, kind of fits into that, into this slightly where, you know, he's got a lot of ideas and he'll come to me and say, hey, how long would it take to do X, Y, or Z? It's like, you know, it probably wouldn't be horrible, horribly long to do it. But I'll bet, you know, and then I try to encourage him. I'm like, you could do this. I know you could do this. Like, go learn how to do this thing and use this project as your motivation. And it is totally within your abilities to go do this on your own, actually. And I'll be happy to help as you have questions. Has he done it? Um, not so much. I try to pump him up, but then, in, it, yeah. you know, I check back in a week and it's deflated. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but, so but that's the same guy. Like, like, hey, if you go in and dive in and do this, I'd be glad to help you with you know this piece that might be harder, or you know, because then you can see like again, are they are they really motivated? And I think that's a lot of it. Is I want to work with people that are as excited about their idea as I am, right? Right. Well, so I haven't gotten this quite as much. You know, do you think this is more so because you're around a university that they bring the student thing up? It might be. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about it that. If you don't run into that as much, but yeah, I get it all the time. Like, oh, you're connected to Purdue or you're close to Purdue. You must know there just must be like tons of like student programmers just like laying around on benches and you just like, you know, and go you up know and go like, all. hey, will yeah. you, can you do Ruby on Rails? <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> I'm know, not busy. I get that in, uh, in the corporate world all the time. Don't you know some just high school student that can do this or some, you know, college intern that can build this out? And I mean, in, in multiple companies now, uh, I've been asked that. So what's, first off, what is your answer to that? And then second, 
what if, how do you avoid being that guy on the other side of the fence well my answer to them is no <laughs> like go, go go do a google search and find the board to post it on their website i don't i mean that's all i got for you right as far as being the the other guy for me being the guy that they ask or the being no, the guy like, let's say you're the guy who has this idea you're not a technical person and you want to save money right you I mean you want to do it low cost that's that's a natural you know motivation yeah. there yeah but how do you avoid being that guy that comes up and you know if you say something like hey do you know a good student we're gonna all all three of us are gonna write you off immediately so yeah. how do you avoid doing that but still get a get across the point you want to maybe find cheaper ways to do it or do you just throw <laughs> out the idea of cheap entirely you just I, well no no i think you can do it but i think with most of those you don't ask people you go and you post it on places go post it on craigslist go post it on on again the school board uh, they all have them where you can go post uh, jobs and they're free um you go do that first and then if you don't you're going to find most likely that you're not going to find what you're looking for and then you can realize and get over that hurdle of oh, shit i'm going to actually get up someone who knows what they're doing right yeah I mean, I don't get me wrong. I was a student programmer once, right? And I, but I wrote a lot of crappy code. Mm-hmm. And so it just, and, and it just depends if you want to provide, if your motivation, I, my usual response then is, do you want to provide a learning project for a student? If that's great, if you do, that's great. That's great that you want to help a student get some experience and mentor them or whatever like that. But if you're just like, like I got to get this done and I got to have it done by Tuesday, then, you know, <laughs> yeah, and done you hire correctly somebody. for sure. Oh, no, they don't care. They don't know what correctly is. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. But I, I do like kind of what you're saying, Michael. I think in your way of saying, hey, do you want to help a student out and let them learn while they're making your thing? If you say it in that way, I think they understand a little bit of, okay, this isn't going to be – they're not going to make a BMW or Mercedes for me. This is going to be a Kia of my product. <laughs> hey, 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 yeah. hey. <laughs> All right, like the, I like the, the – like, I want to build a house. Do you hire a, do you hire a high school student – you know, that's taking shop class to build a house. No, but if you need a dog house, yeah. I'll let a, you know, I'll let a high school kid build me a dog house. True. Maybe even a shed if he's feeling adventurous. There you go. Yeah. If you do a good job on the dog house, I'll let you build my, my shed in the back. But I'm not, I'm not moving in. And that's where, you know, you get the guys like, oh, it's my million dollar idea. Like, right. Okay. If it's worth a million dollars, you don't, you know, build a skyscraper with, you know, untrained labor. Exactly. Go get some funding and then you're not, you're not going to have to feel like you have to do it so cheap. So, yeah. Easier said than Yeah, very true. Um, so, so one what, of the, what's wanna, another one you got here? Uh, the next one is the guy that says, we must use technology X, where technology X is the totally wrong technology, maybe not even relevant, but, you know, <laughs> his brother-in-law said, oh, you know, Ruby on Rails is the hottest new thing you you have to do that to, you know, write your embedded application or, or something. They, right. The point being is they've already made their technology choice when they're coming to you, and they really just want somebody, a code monkey, to sit and punch keys uh, for them and, and make it work because they've got it all figured out. I, I actually run into this exact one on an almost daily basis. Uh, my, the place where I do most of my consulting work, there are a bunch of engineers there, and the engineers mm. have been trained in school, like, you know, through college, they were trained on Fortran. I don't know why, but nice. apparently, like, they're... Aero? Aeronautical engineers? Yes, aerospace engineers, okay. a lot of them from Purdue, are yep. still being taught only Fortran in their classes. And I think oh. it's just a matter of the professors 
you know, they did Fortran and a lot of like the NASA projects and a lot of the other stuff in aerospace has all been, and it's just this, this thing that begets more Fortran, you know, it just keeps the cycle going. And so mm-hmm. it's Fortran and Seashell. Like they script crazy amounts of stuff in Seashell. They will use Excel in such bastardized ways that, you know, <laughs> Excel should never be used for this. Like they actually use Excel to, to do their punch cards. They're like time cards. So oh, when yeah. you get in in the morning, you know how those guys version control too. Uh, copy the folder and yes. rename it. Exactly. You you understand who I'm dealing with. My brother, my brother's an aeronautical engineer at NASA. Okay. Yeah. And that's he model. He's a. That's the funny thing is my family thinks I'm the computer guy. I'm like my brother. You pre programs all day. He just, <laughs> but they don't use. They don't use source code control. They don't right. have versioning. They're like CVS. I don't know. The jury's still out on CVS. We're gonna wait <laughs> on that one. Like, dude. Uh, we're way past that. Don't use CVS if you're going to do anything. <laughs> but yeah, so I get asked a lot of these, you know, these projects. Hey, we would love you to come program some kind of fast four-year transform something or other for us today. But just so you know, it's got to be in Fortran. And then I start asking, okay, well, what libraries can I use? You know, what do they have? Good FFT libraries or other things for Fortran? And the answer is always, well, not so much. I mean, there are a few out there. But there are actually fewer than you would think for doing that sort of stuff. And so yeah. you end up having to write a lot of the stuff from scratch. And, I, you know, I, I luckily have been able to find enough work that's not Fortran. I don't have to do Fortran. I never have. But oh. I get asked on a almost daily basis to do Fortran and Excel stuff yeah. all the time. Yeah. Well, but see, you could reverse it on them and say, are you going to do your whatever computational fluid dynamics? Are you going to do that in... I don't know, I'm picking on Ruby on Rails tonight or something right. like or Objective-C, right? No, you're not. I mean, Fortran, whatever, we can make fun of it for being a language from the 60s or whatever. But it's compiled. But it, at least it's, you know, but that part of the reason they use it in that industry is, is it's got the libraries that have been tested. And when you're designing airplane wings, you want to make sure the code is, to, you know, yeah. is, is, is There's right. some pretty so, good FFT libraries for C++ we've come to find in. We actually are doing a couple of projects in C++, and they're getting a little, like, they, they're like, oh, but object-oriented, it's like plug-in modular architecture is what they call C++. <laughs> like, what are you talking <laughs> about? It's object-oriented. I don't know. It's not plug-ins. But, yeah, it's just a severe lack of understanding yeah. of these more modern languages. And C++ not even more modern, but just, just severe lack of understanding of any other languages and technologies. Right. And that's what my general rule is. We don't usually consider projects where we don't have the final say on the technology that gets used. Right. So, I mean, we, we welcome input and, you know, and if we're working with other kind of, you know, equal developers or whatever on a project, then obviously you got to figure that out together. But and so I would say if you're if you're the guy going in with trying to find a programmer and you're like, I need a program that does technology X, you're going to just and you're just going to limit yourself because you're like, I need a Python programmer. You just go around and do you need a Python programmer? Do you, or, and so we'll get that and be like, try to figure out, well, do you really need a Python programmer or what's your problem you're trying to solve? And like, well, you know, if I can solve this problem in for us, let's say C sharp and I can do it, you know, 10 times as fast. And and then again, if you're paying me money or even if we're splitting revenue, we get this thing to market 10 times faster. Then is that worth it to you? And then most of the time, like, oh, I don't really care. I don't really care what you, you get it done in. I just just get it done when it really comes down to it. Right. So if you're if you're that guy, don't say just say here's the problem I'm trying to solve, and then get you know get a Python programmer's take on it, get a Ruby on Rails programmer's take on it, get a .NET developer's take on it, and then and then see who can give you the best the best deal. 
Right. And if they have in-house development that only they're like, well, but we want to be able to take it over. We know Fortran. Sure. Then you're like, okay, well, we're probably not a good fit. Would that be your response? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every once in a while, there's a there's a justification reason why it's got to be, you know, something like that, where it's got to be a particular technology. And we're probably not a good fit. Right. But that's that's the rare case in my experience. What's the craziest thing you've been asked to program in, Brandon? Uh, nothing. Nothing. You never yeah, get these. Yeah, nothing. No, never, ever. Because I mean, the moment that they would even start talking to me, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm a designer." <laughs> <laughs> well, so but yeah, it, it's got to be the same thing. Like, if I came to you and said, "You must use GIMP." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, yeah, I definitely know these guys, right, all the time. But I've never been the dude who's, you know, I, I mean, if they if they would, they're not, they're not. I get Ruby a lot. Why right. aren't we building this in Ruby? You know, and it's like, well, why the why why does it matter? And it's like, <laughs> well, I just heard somebody say that, you know, I wonder if you guys are doing stuff in Ruby or you use an Active Directory. It's like, you know, you have no idea what the fuck you're even talking about. <laughs> and and so let's just pretend this conversation hasn't happened um but nothing like obscure like you know you need to do this in lua or whatever yeah yeah we don't get that i was thinking well one time we we did we got our programming language or something oh, but wow. it's some it's some but it was a professor it was an academic it was an academic thing but more more common is we get sharepoint or java yeah yeah they're like can you program this in sharepoint <laughs> yeah we will use the SharePoint programming language and make this for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to these now. What other personas do you have? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. My next one is uh, the first version must have every possible feature and scale for a million users, guys. So like, <laughs> right? He's like, this idea is so awesome. We do not, you know, we cannot be down for any second. We're going to make a million dollars a second from from the start starting gate and we must have this feature because we're going to go after this market niche and we're going to go after this market niche and you know it, none of it works unless it all comes together guy mm-hmm. and he's just got that big vision and he can't he can't bring it down any any smaller and so what do you say to that, that i mean this happens all the time this has happened to me a bunch so i'm really curious to hear how you handle it oh my friend is this you you, you try to flush them out and see you just you have to go like okay if you start talking, usually I start talking budget and and time and time to market. I'm like, okay, your whole thing. That's I tell them it's great to know what your big vision is that where we might be in three years, but but we have to have something to show for it in the next you know six to eight weeks. And right. so what if I could do if I could do one thing for you, you know what would what would it be? And it may not be. And I think the hard thing is to get them to go. Well, this is the really hard thing. So I have to think we have to figure this out. Or this is the this is the killer feature, but often the killer feature is, you know, a big thing or it depends on a lot of other level stuff. But a lot of times there's a little, little nugget of thing like, well, if we could do this little thing, it solves like one tenth of this guy's problem, but still that one tenth is, is useful. And it gets you, you know, it's going to get you those first 10, 50, a hundred customers, um, mm-hmm. users of your application. And from there, then you can validate if your big idea is actually something that they want built. If they're all talking to you, like, we want it, we want it, like, yeah, yeah, we're building it. Or if no one ever asks for that, then you kind of have to wonder if, you know, really were you on to something. So you just try to, you know, you just try to rein in the ideas. But then you, I find those kind of people too, you have to, they're the ones that, like, next week, it's some other new idea related maybe to the, to the main thing. But, um, you know, they're always revising it. And so you never, you never get anywhere because you're just, churning all the time 
they can't stay focused on any one thing. But right. So I think that's the, those are actually the hardest people to deal with, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I, for that, no. I've I've run into it a bunch, and for me, it's it's kind of tough. It takes a couple of conversations to talk them out of it. But I, you know, I just stress the iterative development process and talk about how it's a little bit more natural because you won't really know you won't know everything you need until you start to use the beta and you start to get it out there in front of customers. You start Good to get point. user feedback, you know, and just really stress the fact that you're not going to need to scale this to thousands of people per second from the very beginning. And if we do run into that problem, then you know, great. There are things that we can do, like scaling up the number of servers quickly while we re-architect stuff and put memcache in front of everything. Or, you know, it's not like impossible yeah. to try to scale something. It's just we probably don't want to waste resources up front doing it until we see that we actually can start to forecast the needs of the company and say, all right, well, we know at our current growth rate three months out that we would hit a limit. So now let's say we're going to start implementing memcache and let's do some other cool stuff with how we do it. And this query over here that people don't really care too much about what that query is providing. And it's just kind of a dog on the SQL, you know, so let's get rid of that and just start yeah. figuring out how to tune it a little bit better and looking at new yeah. relic and stuff. But you, we, you got to start living with the software as quickly as possible. I'm a huge advocate of that. Yeah, I agree. I think the problem is, is that the stuff that makes, you know, TechCrunch and all the other sites is the ones that have the huge hockey stick growth curve. So everybody thinks that's what's going to happen to them where most sites just have this slow, like, they just, you know, slow and steady growth, right? And and that's how most sites should be built, is to slowly just kind of grow and support more new more users as you as you as you add them. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I call those other ones the Cinderella stories. And iOS kind of yeah. has that as well. Like you know, you yeah. always hear about the iOS apps that just completely take off and it just sets unrealistic expectations for everybody. Yeah. I, I describe that as if we run into that, that'll be a good problem to have, right? Yep. More likely, our problem is we're going to build this thing and no one's going to come. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then what are we going to do? So, cool. all right. Hey, the next guy is the let's not discuss my budget. So we've talked. I think money is probably a key factor in a lot of these guys. But the guy that won't won't talk any money at all, um, or you know, or equity or share of revenue or whatever like that. It's like, oh, it's too early. It's too early. We'll figure that out later. Is is just somebody that I think for the most part developers don't want to work with. So don't be don't be that that kind of guy because let's again, this is a business. This is how uh, we make our livings. Or even if it's a, even if it's a hobby, you want to be involved with something that is going to be successful. And money is not by any means top of the priority list um, for for I think a lot of people. Right. And and as it should be, but money pay, but money plays a factor in, in in all of that. And so if it's just another way of going, are are you serious about this idea? And so if you're ready to discuss money, and it's because again, like you said, I think your stats of probably twenty to forty percent are probably about right. So if they're they're going to put time and effort towards software development, but they're not putting it towards marketing, market research, um, you know, making connections, um, pub- publishing stuff, then. What what else are they are they doing? They haven't really thought the whole thing through. And when does when does this come up? Like, are you asking them what's your budget before you give them some price, and then they say no? Let's not talk about that. Um, it used to so, but that's probably the one thing I've changed the most is I talk money in the very first meeting. I don't leave that first half hour to 
to sixty minute meeting. I, I, my rule is I'll, I'll talk with anybody for an hour. Sometimes I'll make you buy me lunch. It's that's like cool. about the, yeah. it's about the worst. But I'll talk to anybody because I just I mean that's just it's just don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining all this because I really love this part of my job because you get to talk to people who's this is their idea, this is their baby, and they've got a dream, and you might get to play a part in making that happen. Um, but so I'll talk to anybody for an hour. But in, in part of that hour, we've got to we've got to lay it out. And so usually from talking to somebody an hour, like tours about 45 minutes in, I can tell you, I can say, OK, you're in the $10,000 ballpark, you're in the $50,000 ballpark or you're in the quarter million dollar ballpark. It's just all that really means is I think it's going to be crazy expensive and I have I have no idea. Right. <laughs> and so, I, you know, and, and I think most people, you guys can probably do the same thing if you're like, I actually you know, I do where, like where exactly the same thing as what you just said. Sweet. So I have people take me out to lunch and I, you know, I pretty much know, like when I say, yeah, I'll meet you for lunch, you know, that's the only time I'm available. And I know they'll, they'll buy me lunch. <laughs> I pick a nice place that I want to go eat, you know, not, not expensive, like a $10 type lunch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll go there and chat about whatever your idea is. And I actually like, you know, for that, if I'm in person, I know that we're going to be talking for 60 minutes, then I will bring up money at some point. If I'm on the phone with you, I purposely look at my watch and within the first 15 minutes will bring up what my rate is and just general bar, ballpark number of what I think the app will cost. Yep. So sometimes the conversation ends pretty quickly after that. Doesn't yeah, it? which is fantastic. And then <laughs> I, yeah. then I, you know, I walk into the kitchen. I'm like, Hey, you know, honey, I'm off the phone. <laughs> I'm ready to go do something now. You know, like that phone call was short. Awesome. Like that, you know, we, I filtered that person out really quick. Yep. Yeah. I'd say I almost, I don't hardly ever tell anybody no. I just say, here's what it's going to take, you know, to do to do this project. And so if, if it's the hourly rate or the, the time, the schedule, the time frame, yeah. then you just think, here's what it's going to take. And we're not the right fit for, for everybody. You don't get to work on every cool project out there. So. Yeah, if you think that this three-month project is going to cost $2,000, then definitely not the right fit because yeah. I think it'll be 10000 Cool. All right, Brandon put this next one on there, and I can't believe I didn't put it on the original list because <laughs> this is this is maybe my my number one new key warning sign. Mm. So the you must sign my NDA before we talk, guy. Right? Like to me, it's, it's a, the more like the more NDAs and stuff like the secretive you are, now it's to me it's inversely proportional to how good your idea is. So <laughs> yes. the more you want to the more you want to keep it secret, probably the worse your idea is. <laughs> How do no, you I, I have, dude, I have that all the time. And it's just like, seriously, really? Because, you know, they, they, it's, and it's their ego, man. It's just they're like, they think that this idea is so good that if you even get a whisper of it, I'm going to go be like, oh, my God, I'm going to steal it and go build it. <laughs> and it's like, they won't even tell you what industry yeah. it's in. No, nothing, right? There was, a, there was an event um, here in town, a startup event, and this lady was looking for a technical co-founder. And she came up to me. She's like, I was just wondering how you would recommend I go about doing it. And I said, just go up and start talking to people. Tell them. She's like, well, I want people to sign an NDA before I talk to them. I'm like, don't waste your time. Just, I mean, don't waste your time. If that's the case, don't waste your time because your idea is not special. Right. And I, I don't even need to know what it is. It is not unique. It is not a pretty butterfly. It is just a <laughs> fucking idea. And and everybody's got thousands of them. So yep. take your NDA. Well, and and the thing is, even if you did, I don't know. Even if you did have a special idea, you should be able to talk about it coherently enough without revealing the secret sauce. Right. But talk around around it. 
if you don't know your idea well enough that you can't just spill all the beans, you shouldn't in that first hour meeting, you don't have to tell me anything to, for me to get a good idea of how I want to work on it, if it's a good fit or not. Anything that's really unique about, about what Here, makes it. Here's makes the it secret sauce from what, you know, the, I, I have not heard an idea yet by that by just hearing what the concept is in a few sentences, I now know everything I would need to know to go out and execute this thing and make it into a million dollar business. I have never come across something like that. So the secret sauce is the 10,000 things that that person is going to dedicate all of their free time and non-free time to doing over the next umpteen months right. with all the passion that they have behind it, however blind it may be or not, that they are right. going to do to push that thing onto the world and try to get it to stick and turn into something. And it, that is the difference between them and anybody they tell the idea to. Yeah. Even, well, and because like we said, developers are busy. Good developers are busy. And so the likelihood that your idea is going to make me give up everything else that I'm working on right now to work on it instead. Right. And without you involved is really not well, like... Well, yeah. And the other thing, too, is good developers and bad developers generally do not know how to market or get any traction for what they're doing. So, you know, we can build a great iPhone app or we can build a great website, but the crickets are going to chirp more more than likely for whatever we are building. Because there's, like we were saying, 20 to 40% of the project's success is probably reliant on the technology. And I would say it's closer to the 20 side if it's not a highly technical thing. So it's all that other stuff you're doing day in and day out to push it forward. And even still, it may not succeed. But you've got to have the people who are willing to do that and even know how to do that to really help yeah. you. You know, And so when these That's people, a good point. when you're going around with that idea, feel free to share it. Because at the end of the day, time is the most constraining resource, and none of the rest of us have the time to do what you are going to try to do with that idea. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, just that's my advice to anybody looking for a book. Feel free to share it. You know, just be vague enough, and just look, but but by all by all means, you can you can share your idea, and you'll get mostly you'll get you should probably get you'll get good feedback, even if they aren't a developer that can work on your project. They might have done something similar before. They can point you in the right direction, and most people want to help other people out. But if I don't know what you need, I can't, I can't help you out. Right. What if it's a lunch situation and, and the, he's brought the NDA with him and he's like, hey, could you sign my NDA uh, before we talk? I sign, I sign them. I sign a lot of NDAs. So you guys don't have anything against signing NDAs if it's no, convenient. I, think, I don't sign I, You won't you don't, if you, you What do no. you say? You're like, no, I just don't no. sign NDAs, yeah. period. I, just, I don't sign an NDA until I have an idea of what I'm actually signing. Don't it's you? that simple. I that's, mean, like, and, that's a good point. Because you never know yeah. what you may be like. It may be something that you're thinking of yourself. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. shit. Because then if, if it's a th something that and, and that's happened where, you know, it was they're really similar. That is like, look, you know, there's a conflict of interest and, and I can't help you. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've done that if it's in something. But I guess I'll, I'll usually push and I'll, I'll usually I'm usually able to get a, a little bit of at least like an industry or somewhat of a vague idea. Mm -hmm. But but I'll sign them because I think for the most part they're non-defensible, you know. It's, right. it's funny, the people that are, I really love this scenario, is the guy is like, I have this idea for an app. You, will you sign an NDA if we meet? Uh, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll meet. Okay, I, I, so I say, okay, send me your NDA so I can review it before we meet. Oh, I don't actually have an NDA. Could we use yours? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Fantastic. okay, strike number two. Yep. I think I got to cancel. I got to figure out a way to cancel this meeting. Yep, for sure.
All right, so we've got another one in here. Uh, I put this one in. The I need this six-month project done in two months guy. Have you guys run into uh, that sort uh, of thing? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm still in it. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve months later? Yeah, seven months later, I'm still in it. And uh, I got, it was literally, hey, we need this done in, in 30 days. I'm like, you know what? I like the challenge. And so I got a crap load done in 30 days. And, and I realistically knew it, it was going to be significantly longer. Sure. Um, so, you know, I gave him enough to say, hey, look, this is what I kind of told you was going to happen. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, but yeah, that, again, for, if it was a project, I wouldn't do it. You know, again, this is a full time gig. Right. So it was like, eh, you know, I know I know realistically what's going to happen. But a project, I'd be like, yep. yeah. Do I'll do them. This? I just won't. I just won't do them fixed bid. I'll do them hourly rate, and say, you know what? If we if we're not likely to get this done, we'll get as much done as we can, mm. and and we'll try to and try to say, hey, well, here's about a milestone I think is more realistic, and you know, if you're happy with that, then we can quit after that. If you're not, so I'll do it where if it's a feature on something that's existing in a language or framework I'm familiar with, and I can look at the code first before I finally say yes. Then I, you know, that's the type of thing I could do in 30 to 60 days. But if it is building anything from scratch, whether it's an iPhone app or a web app, I tell them minimum three to four months. Mm -hmm. And if, if you really want to get, and I've never had anybody come back and say, you know, you have to do it in two months or we're just not going to consider you. Because by the point that they're, we finally start talking about the length of time, they've already bought into the credibility of my background, my experience. And so they, you know, they're interested enough to continue talking to me. And it doesn't seem like the amount of time is the biggest sticking point. It's more about mm -hmm. money and my experience. Those seem like the much bigger factors. Most of the time, in my, that's my experience, is people's deadlines aren't really that hard. Right. They're, you know, it's just like, well, I need it as sort of as soon as possible. And they can build other stuff around it. Though we have, we have like, lost or not gotten certain projects when we just said, you know, this is how long we think it's going to take. And other people told them significantly less or sometimes the like the amount of time to do it was right but you know we can't we're busy now we can't start for three months and then it's a two-month project right and so like well we want to start next week so like, well but that's, I think that, isn't that good though here's somebody I mean, you, here's somebody you can call yeah you're making sure you're not putting yourself in a position to fail which i, I think, think you've got to do that I think if you, if especially early on when you're hungry and you're just starting, and like you were saying, Brandon, you you got to take pretty much anything. I think you do mm -hmm. get trapped in those in those projects where you really bit off too much. You didn't set expectations correctly. You overpromised. You know, you get into the code and you're like, oh fuck, like there's no way I'm going to get this done in in the time that I said. And you really start sweating, and you're just in a position where you're not going to build a long lasting client relationship there, which should always be your goal, in my opinion. You know, I think. It, you want to build up that stable of of clients so you don't always have to go out and get new ones. If you've got that couple of go-to clients that you know can pay you well and you know how to work with them, that's ideal. Yeah. And if you do get into those, you just be up front with them like, you know what, hey, and we've had to do this actually recently a couple times. We got into it and it was like, this is not what we were expecting when we gave you that estimate and these things have changed. And right. so do you want to redo the terms of this? And we like, we'll give you an out. We're just... You know, we can be done now or we can readjust, you know, for what will work. But is, there's no point in lying or just right. not telling not telling them when something's, something's I changed. I agree. The second you even think 
that it might be a problem, let them know and set new expectations and give them outs and be honest. For sure. All right, here's our last persona. The you need to make my crappy software less crappy guy. So this is the type of guy who comes to you. He's already made the mistake or several of the mistakes that we've talked about here. And he's got some pretty subpar software built for him. But he's already invested a couple thousand or a few thousand dollars into it. He's not that willing to give this software up at this point just because he's made right. some mistakes. He really wants to pass those mistakes on to you <laughs> and see if you can somehow salvage this thing for him and come let's, in and be his savior. Let's explain the accounting term sunk costs. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, I think we have three projects right now where that is to some degree the scenario. And it, it, is, a, it is a striding thing. The number one thing I've learned is how to how to start over without telling someone you're starting over. Oh, okay. So you're saying saying things like, "This is a great prototype for me to base this new design on," or right. come up with some feature like, "Well, we can't build that on." Again, I use the architecture analogy. Like, we can't go back in and rewire the house after the walls have all been built up. So, but to tell someone like, "Yeah, we're going to tear down all the work the last guy did and start all over." Hardly anybody's going to go for that, but I say, well, here's what we can salvage from this. Look, we know this architecture will work, or we know, you know, this piece over here, we can just kind of drop in and stuff like that. But we've got to, we've got to clean up these, these other things. And so people send, in my experience, tend to be, to be a little better with that. I, th- I think uh, what's but, key there, though, is you are being honest still. You're flat out saying we're going to throw away most of this. You're saying in a positive way. But you're still saying a truth that is, we're only using parts of this. Right. right? So you're right. not, you're not and, trying to tell them. We're maybe using more concepts and ideas than actual right. code. But People think a lot of the value that. is in the code. The code is not usually that valuable. Don't, don't tell them, though, that you are just simply adding on to their code. But yet in the real world, you're rewriting it. That, I think, would be that would oh. set you up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I had one of these situations last year come up. It was a, a developer friend of mine actually referred this company to me. And he said, just to give you a heads up, you know, they kind of made some mistakes. They had hired a firm out of uh, New Jersey, I think it was, that did some PHP code for them. And, you know, that's, that's cool. It was in PHP. I'm like, all right, yeah, I've done that for 10 plus years. So I, I could probably take a look at that and help add on whatever features they want to add on. And so we started talking about money and timeline and stuff, and everything seemed pretty good there. So we got to the point where, okay, now before I commit to anything, I need to check out your code. And I go do a a git clone of it and check it out. And like, oh, man, this is really bad code. Like, this (laughs) this is not usable. And so the way that I... You know, and I only had spent maybe 30 minutes really looking at it. It, it didn't take long to realize. They had, they had used no framework. They, you know, it was all really spaghetti type stuff. It I looked, apologize about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like stuff that I had written in high school and I, like before I knew much of anything. And so yeah. I could spot it pretty quickly. But what I did is I told them, look, before I could commit to anything, I think what we need to do is we need to do a little bit of a code review on what your code is here. And... You know, here's how much, here's how many hours I think it would take. Let's say it was like $2,000 worth of code review or something that I could, that I offered them. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, I can give you, you know, a bunch of options and tell you whether we can salvage parts of it or whether we rewrite the whole thing. But what I liked about offering the code review is one, 
I wasn't going to do all of that review for free. There was no way that I was going to do that because this was their mistake that they had made by hiring that other company. And two, it, it gave me a chance to let them know how serious they were because it wasn't a large amount of money, but it gave me a chance to start to work with them and talk to them and build up that relationship. And I knew that it was going to take some serious thinking on my end to figure out which route to go and, you know, and then yeah. also understand the full depth of the software. And so in doing the code review, I would understand all the features for it and could more accurately give them a fixed project bid that was a little a little bit tighter, didn't have as much of the, you know, the extra padding on the end so that because they did pay for the code review, I didn't want to really pad the project price as well. Yeah. And no, that's a good that's a good idea and we'll do that some too even with people that just have un, that have vague requirements where we're just like, "I don't know, I'm not really sure if your project's 20,000 or 50,000." But if you have 2,000, we can do you know, a design set, a couple design sessions, give you some screen mock-ups and stuff. And so that, that's an interesting approach to take that with an existing code project. Yeah. I, I think too often people feel the pressure of having to, with very little information given to them about the project, okay, now I've, I've got to come up with an estimate or I got to come up with the exact, the exact project price that I'm going to try to charge them. And, you know, I don't, I don't have enough information. And you know, you know immediately in your gut whether that you are confident in when you're doing the pricing or when you're not confident. And if you're not that confident, don't feel bad about saying, hey, let's, I got to do a little bit of upfront work to really dig in here and figure this out and charge them for that. Yep. No, I do, I do that. I, I tell people, here's my confidence level in my estimate. Like whether that's giving them a range or that's giving them, um, you know, just a, I think this. I think this part of the project, I, I, we can do excellent. But this one piece, you know, we've never done, or that's kind of risky or whatever. So I kind of try to give them a, a gut feel at least of, you know, what g- goes along with my estimate. Or like, oh no, this is stuff we've done a dozen times before. It's exactly like this other project, but just a little bit different. And and so I'm, I'm really, I'm really confident in it. But my suggestion to that too is, if you give them a range, they only hear the lower end of the range. Yes. So. Yep. But I'll give a range just so they like, oh, then we feel good that, you know, it's a ten to $20,000 project. Yeah, they, don't, they, heard, they think they're going to get it done for 10000 So you better be happy if it's 10 or close. I, I differ a little bit on that. You know, I kind of strayed away from doing the range a while ago. Cause I, you like just say you one said, price? I, yeah, I, I really forced myself to be disciplined and just give one price. So if I think there's any possibility of it being 20 and I know that that's going to sticker shock them, then I will say, let's spend a few hundred dollars up front, just a few hours to try to come up with a little bit better spec because they probably had no spec at all. Or mm-hmm. let's talk about it more. Let's meet again. Let me dive into this thing a bit more. But when I do give them that price, then, and I don't, I try not to do a lot of fixed bid stuff now. I try to do it hourly because it's just a lot less yeah. friction and you know, I give them this whole spiel about, and it's true, it's this whole thing about how that builds long-term client relationships because there is very little friction. And charging hourly is just much more natural for software because software changes all the time. The, the design requirements change all the time as we start yep. to get into this. This is an evolving piece of product. It is not like you are making an iPhone case to these exact specifications and then you just stamp it out. So Yeah, exactly. Anyway, but yeah, I, I think that if you, I don't know how much we really touched on how not to be this guy, but I think that a lot of people might be able to infer from hearing our side of things, just don't come so. across as some of these people and you're going to be doing pretty well. Just come across really open-minded, have a decent amount of money to put behind your project 
or if you really are going to go with the 50-50 split, really come in showing that you're going to do a ton of heavy lifting. You've thought about this a lot. You're really prepared. You know, don't try to do softer on the cheap and do it in the way that you know is not the right way. Like these people must know in their gut that they're cutting corners. And if you feel like you're doing that, you know, you're doing it wrong. Right. Because they're going to just cut corners in the other other aspects of the project as well. Mm-hmm. And so and anybody that's worth anything just wants to work on a good quality project with good quality people. So just be that and be open and honest about it. And that's how most developers are going to look at it and evaluate if they want to work on your project. So and then if, if that's the case, then you shouldn't have a problem finding somebody pretty good. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks for talking to us about that. that was, hey, thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun going through those personas. So now let's dive into a couple of links that have been posted on Talentopoly over the last two weeks. Some pretty cool stuff here. Our first link is MVC is dead. It's time to move on. Kind of a link baity title, but I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, at first I wasn't going to mention this, but then I started reading through it, and it reminded me a lot of Node and Backbone style programming. So you might find this interesting, Brandon. This is uh, a new style, a new pattern that this guy is promoting called move and that stands for models views uh models operators views and events and this comes out of his dislike for stuffing too much uh business logic inside controllers or yeah i don't i i put most of my business logic inside my models personally but i guess maybe he would have a problem with that too but basically the what he wants is he wants his model to describe just how it, it wraps the knowledge. He wants the, the methods inside his models to just wrap interacting with the knowledge of that record. And the operation should be how you actually, uh, how you perform the business logic. So he, but he, and he's saying even down to the level that the, the operations are what load the model and that right. save the model and all of that. So the model has no concept of its own save or destroy exactly. or any of that. Right. So like object relational you know, modeling like ORM which mm-hmm. is active record in Rails, would not be part of your model. That would be handled by the operators. Operation. The operations. And then he's got views, and the views trigger events, and the events are what then cause operations to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a... Now, is this guy... Is this just... Did this dude just totally make this up, or is he trying... Is this something that had already existed? He does say here that he's not the only one beginning to think this way and that you should check out objectifying interactions, which try to add some of the benefits of Move to existing MVC applications. Mm-hmm. But this also smelled a lot like Node.js to me. Yeah. Doesn't it to you? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, I don't know, because there's done... so many different ways that you can do shit with Node, you know. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, honestly. What do you think, Michael? I don't know. I... I guess I can see what the problem is. I, if he's saying that having too much stuff in the controller just ends up with a bunch of spaghetti code, I guess I've I've definitely seen projects like that where that happens. Yes. But I don't – it seems like you're just moving a, 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 that problem from one area to another. But I guess so by, defi- by, by dividing it, now maybe you only have, you know, a half the code in, in two different spots. Is that really – like – that that was what I was thinking too. Is are we really just making smaller files here, or is there something that comes out of this different paradigm? Is this a different paradigm enough that 
the programming becomes more straightforward or intuitive. <clears throat> Maybe that, you know, since you since if you do have a lot of logic happening in your controllers, this is just another way that you might be able to to break it down into more reusable chunks. Right. That's what I was going to say. If it's if it's smaller pieces than you and you go in to add an ex a new feature to an existing, you know, to an existing model, but you're not you're not adding anything new to the model. You're just making it do something new and you can be more sure or be easier to unit test that, that i can see yeah in that in that case i don't know i don't know yeah it'll be interesting to see if this type of thing gets mentioned more or catches on at all but i like that somebody else is i do like at first i was thinking well mvc is good you know it's just it's the way we've been doing it it's great and then i started thinking well you know i'm glad people are questioning this i'm glad somebody Absolutely. else is coming out with new stuff keep moving it forward some yeah, no, totally. Well, I'll, I'll also say, though, at the same time, sometimes I think MVC is overkill for certain size projects and stuff like that, and this is kind of even going... Oh, yeah. This is be definitely beyond, beyond that. MVC, yeah. When some just procedural code may get it done. All right. Yeah. Link number two, the Pastry Box Project. The Pastry Box Project is uh, 30 people that get together once a year, and they come up with a bunch of different thoughts, a bunch of different tips, really on uh, things that have to do with web design and web programming, being freelancers or professionals in this industry. And then throughout the year, once a day, uh, they will send out one of their thoughts. So I, I believe this is over email, but the, you can also read them on the website. And the bakers, there are 30 of the bakers, and then the thoughts go out once a day. So here's an example of one of the thoughts. Mobile broke everything is how the saying goes. Of course, the old saying was the web broke everything. Before that, I'm sure someone was grousing about internal combustion engines, steam power, and or the wheel. Nothing ever really breaks, of course. I mean, really, the web's still here, but maybe we broke, or at least we're left to rediscover a new way to work. So this that's from Ethan Marcotte. So they have some pretty big names being the bakers on here. So, you know, I recognized a bunch of these people just by looking at their, uh, at their names on here. So some cool thoughts, I guess, if you like that type of daily inspiration. This is what they call sugar for the mind on their website. So check mm -hmm. this out. You guys have it's an any? interesting idea, kind of curate a group of people. Yeah. So basically, it's every every day out. So like once a month, each person has some thought. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. And they came up with them all when they got together. I was reading on the about page here. They all met. And I think they came up with all the thoughts at once. Yeah, each year the Pastry Box Project gathers 30 people who are oh. each influential in their field and ask them to share thoughts regarding what they do. And then they publish these thoughts. So, so to some degree, they've got to be timeless because yeah, 360 days from now, they're going to be on the last few ideas and will they still be relevant? And right, so you can't be pushing MVC anymore because that's old. That's passe. <laughs> got to be pushing right. move. All right. Tiny PNG. Compressed PNG images while preserving alpha transparency. Nice little website. You can go and upload your PNG files. Uh, most of us. Do you do 24-bit PNGs, Brandon? You know, uh, not really. I Either I'm going to do a 32 or I'm going to do an 8. Okay. Because um, a lot of times the 8 with the transparency still turns out decently. Um and the size is obviously a lot smaller, but usually I, I, I never do uh, 24. 
I do it just because I think Photoshop's default under save to web is 24. You can yeah, do see, mine's fireworks 24. is the 24 doesn't have transparency. Oh, okay. The the Photoshop stuff I do, though, I thought had transparency. No, I'm sure it does. Because, again, I think it's it's two totally different engines. Okay. They're not, yeah, they're, they're two totally different engines from, you know, one was, I think, wasn't Macromedia that had it before Adobe yep. had it? Yep. And this is its own engine as well. So this is a smart lossy compression engine to reduce the file size. So it is going to lose color data. It's going to do an indexed PNG. So I thought I read that as it's going to be an eight bit. Is that hmm. what you, is that what you think? I mean, I have no idea. I just know it's smaller and it looks okay. It actually <laughs> looks like when they show this panda bear on here. Yeah. 57 KB versus 17, and I can't really tell the difference between it. And it's a, it's like a photo, so. No, I'd be good. interested to see it on a retina display. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's huge savings there, especially for like big images you have, like a big mm -hmm. gra grabber image or hero image on your, on your main landing pages. You definitely want to run that through something like this. So the maximum size. So is I'm, I'm not a graphic designer at all, but so why, why is that not like just, built into photoshop or why why is photoshop why are the files that it creates so huge well i think honestly i think it's it's just um you know these guys spent more time on figuring out how to how to compress all those those little color dots <laughs> i agree where you know photoshop photoshop has to do PNG. they don't really care they have to do yeah they have to do so much that you know, if they would spend the time and, 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 you know, if I don't know what kind of black magic these guys are doing behind the scenes, but you could see them if they are doing something, you know, unique that, uh, that it should be bought and incorporated into, uh, into the different tools. Yeah. I think I guess I've heard of, I've heard of other tools like this, but for other formats, but I never, I always thought of PNG was kind of, it was the tight, yeah tidy format already. So I'm impressed that it can be, I mean, I'm both impressed that they can do it and kind of surprised that it even needs to be there. Yeah, you know, I have to do it with fireworks a lot where um, I'll export for the web, just like what Photoshop does. And uh, the files are still pretty big and I'll run it through smoosh and it'll save me. I mean, it can literally save me, you know, 50%. So this, this I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to actually trying to see how much more drastically it can save. And I think that if you were to do an 8-bit PNG in Photoshop, you would get a similar file size, but the photo would not look as, I mean, the mm -hmm. graphic yeah, would not look as good. They're going, yeah, they're going through and making all of those different adjustments, right? Uh, yeah. It's kind of quant quantization. When I do 8-bit, <laughs> it just looks horrible. Like, yeah. oh, I can't afford to do that. All right, I'll stick with 24. And then you get this much bigger size. I mean, 24-bit is completely unnecessary for almost all the PNGs that I've done that with. But 8-bit through Photoshop was just too limiting. Yeah. I needed something in between, and I, hopefully that's what this is. But I, I need something more automated than this, too. I can't, I'm not going to go to this webpage every time and run 20 PNGs through this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I need it to, ultimately, I would like to, and I actually searched for this and I didn't find anything, but I'd like a gem for, for my Rails apps that would tie this into the asset pipeline so that I can just do my 24-bit PNGs with transparency through Photoshop. And then at the time that I deploy, I just know this it's going to run it through this and create my little 8-bit versions and and it'll just work. That Dude, would be no, I would. Oh God, I would love that because I because your default file type for fireworks is PNG. 
Yeah. And so you could have all of your raw files as PNG and then during the deployment have it go and actually, you know, flatten them and remove all that garbage. And that, that way I would never have to be dealing with two different files. I could exactly. always just be working right there with the raw. That would be badass. Yep. And it could just do an underscore eight bit or something. And then yeah. the, the, your site just knows to look for the eight bit version. Yep. Yeah. Somebody please do that for a bunch of the different frameworks out there. All right. Hey, if somebody if somebody does it, I'll split the revenues with them 50-50. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After they sign your NDA. <laughs> please, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, this this whole show, every all the listeners are under NDA by uh, by just by listening to it. You agree. Exactly. All right. Next uh link here, Node.js Knockout 2012. Somebody is putting together a uh a Node.js hackathon. It's a 48-hour hackathon. I believe you can just do it remotely, which is really cool. And there probably are going to be prizes. There are going to be some judges. The, a lot of the stuff is still being roughed out here. They don't have any judges listed, and they're actually polling to see if people would like to have prizes. <laughs> I'd like to see what the results of that poll is. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. it's, it's cool that somebody's going to do a Node.js uh, Node competition. So I kind of like that. It's like Rails Rumble. I just finished up. I just finished up my 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 first like actual node project that I've ever launched, Ooh, and nice. dude, I loved it. Loved it. It was killer. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I messed with Node for a couple of hours a couple weekends ago. I was talking to you about Brandon mm -hmm. about that to you, Brandon. Had a lot of fun doing it. It's a little bit different. Takes a little getting used to, but you know, if I did Node a lot more often, I would probably be interested. You know, I really will, I want to do one of these forty eight hour hackathons sometime. And just go out and get shitloads of Red Bull and, you know, <laughs> I'll just not shower for 48 hours and sit in front of my computer and be on Skype with the other – and, like, just do it all remote from my home where it's comfortable versus a startup weekend, mm -hmm. which is yeah. so uncomfortable to go do. I, I like the idea of it being totally remote. All right. It's our a, last link is action.io. It is a web-based IDE which reminds me a little bit of cloud nine. It's, uh, it's, I think in, in early access mode right now, they have an email sign up that I think they're granting some early access to it already. But it, what's really cool about it is that it actually allows you to set up full stacks of software, like rails apps with Postgres, Memcache, and MongoDB, and all the different versions of Ruby you may want, and you can do all of that with just a few clicks to set all that environment up within the IDE. And you get a terminal to interact with it. And you could even use this on an iPad and program on the go if you really want to do that. But, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. What do you guys think about web-based IDEs in general? I'm putting you on Brandon. the spot here. Somebody. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen one. I would say I haven't played around with many of them just kind of like this checking them out but so it seems to me though that while the state of web apps is just growing leaps and bounds i still don't i still find it hard to believe that for my you know day-to-day -day development stuff that it's it's going to be fast enough and just have all the features and i don't know it took me a long time to move to a web-based email client so if, okay. it, if that if that took me a while this will take a long time. This is, this is going to take a long time, right? Don't you think it, that it's just a matter of time, though, to get to parity? Like it's an eventuality, or do you think it's not an eventuality? I think I think desktop apps. Well, this this is getting into a bigger philosophy thing, but uh, the desktop apps are 
in general, always where the innovation, where the new stuff, where the leading edge of user interface design is, because it's where you have more power and you have more control. Right. And then the web is always playing catch up. And the web is adding other things, easier deployment model, a lot of that is better now with the app stores and stuff like that. Um, and so I guess, I guess my point being is I think native apps are always going to kind of be a step ahead. I would agree with that. I do like the prospect as odd as it sounds as of programming from the iPad, not as a primary input device, but when I am traveling for the weekend and, you know, my intent was not to do some serious programming over the weekend. You know, let's say I'm going to go up to Chicago for the weekend that I don't want to bring my laptop, but that I know if that feature that I just released on Thursday for some reason had a problem, a bug in it or whatever, something that I would need to solve by actually writing code or fixing something in the code that I could file, fire up my iPad, have access to my code right there, make the change, commit it to GitHub, maybe even do like run the rake, you know, the, the tests, mm-hmm. the unit tests, and then deploy it all from the iPad with a Bluetooth connected keyboard and then say, all right, now I'm ready to go to breakfast or something. And be able to just do that. That would be really great for yeah, me. Yeah, I guess I guess if I was in that scenario, I would probably more likely set up some kind of remote access, you know, remote desktop, go to my PC, yeah, something. And that seems slower to me I though, more that. latency bound. Yeah. That's yeah. The, that's why I'm not nuts about doing that. Because I've I've I I used to work that way when I the first company I worked for out of Purdue, they uh they would let me work from home, but I like my setup was so specific there in the office that I would just remote in and do it that way. Uh, and, you know, you, you have to turn so many settings down and do eight bit and you know, it just got really nasty having to do it that way. Yeah. So anyway, I, I have played with cloud nine and it actually works pretty decently well, but it, I still love sublime and text me too much to switch. Yeah. Well, I think that brings maybe, us maybe someday. Yeah, maybe someday. I think I think it is an eventuality that it will get very, very good. And I think you're right that the client side will always lead the way. But you probably could live without some of the stuff client side has, at least for some of the time, and, and go yep. with the web-based. So, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks for being on, Michael. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks.